Welcome back to The Shelf Oddlings. I'm Serafina, and today is an odd episode because I don't have a co-host, but we do have a guest coming up. Uh, I am having a great day, and I am very excited for this episode. If you recall our last episode, we brought in Damien, or Ambi, to be my co-host while Erie is doing some real-life stuff, and today... I have his co-host from his podcast, Wait What, which is wonderful, and we send you over there constantly, but I will do it again multiple times throughout this episode. We are bringing in Courtney, who is truly someone I enjoy listening to, and I'm very excited to have a conversation with today. And I know that we typically do oddities at the first, but I think he's very excited to share his oddity, so I'll share mine then. Uh, we're going to have a very long conversation, so what's going on this week doesn't matter. I'm still trying to heal a chicken. If you hear her in this episode, that's what's going on. She's doing wonderful. Thank you for everyone who checked in on her. She's doing great. Um, but let's just go ahead and get into it. Courtney, how are you doing today? I am great. I am so looking forward to this conversation. Hi, oddlings. <laughs> so let's just get it out. What type of oddity are you feeling like today? Today, my oddity, I am feeling like a piece of gum on the bottom of a cowboy boot. Oh, that is poetic. And I really <laughs> like that. Uh, what, are you good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I am okay. It's just that I am tired and a little worn out. Um I uh, have been in party mode for the past couple of days celebrating a birthday. And so I'm like tired. I, I just, you know, it's first off, it has to be a cowboy boot because I'm in Texas. Hell so, yeah. Uh, so it has to be a cowboy boot. But then that, you know, that piece of gum, I'm just, it's just because I'm worn out and chewed up. It's all. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> But I still have flavor, so let's go. They, oh, gross. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, the oddity I'm feeling like today is, you know, when they are excavating new areas and they find like a cave of ceramics that have been sitting in that cave for thousands of years untouched? Yes. That's how I feel because I want to be in a dark cave for thousands of years. I'm so over this heat. I've had enough. Oh, girl, don't even <laughs> talk about heat to a Texan right now. Oh, but you I know, sure we, can. <laughs> we have had, I think it's been, now we're at about another streak of seven days over 100 degrees. And in my part of Texas, it's dry heat. So it's like a sauna. And yeah. it's just been miserable. It's just, I mean, it's punishing. Yeah, it's us, terrible. Just, uh, we uh, are, uh, we're at this point in the year in the Ohio Valley that it becomes a soup. So mm. it like the thermometer will tell you it's 91, but the real feel is 107 with humidity of 85 to 100. Oh no. So when you walk outside, it's literally like you're inhaling soup. Uh, it's hot hot water. 
It's awful. So I will say I can say it to a Texan because you, it's just so bad. <laughs> yeah, hu- humidity is really a game changer. It really is. And I try is. to tell people that from out here in West Texas who don't understand humidity because there's no water anywhere close. I'm just like, humidity is a game changer. So, yeah, it doesn't – the temperature, actual temperature is not as hot. But, look, mm-hmm. it's miserable. I would rather take 107 real heat. If it wasn't a soup. <laughs> yeah. Because then it's day. like you got fans on and it's just, it's just, it's just like you're in a, a freaking washer. You know, <laughs> it's just water swirling around you. It's just, it's so much. It's so gross. I'm over it. We do have a day coming up because uh, we have a, a huge cold front coming in. We're talking about the weather on this podcast. This is so funny. I know, we have this, right? I'm obsessed with weather. I'm checking the weather constantly because I'm a gardener. Right. And I always know like down to the minute when it's going to rain, all of that. And um, (laughs) we have a cold front coming in. So I think in two days, we're going to have a 73 degree day. That's going to feel like 73 degrees. And I could cry thinking about it. And then I could also cry because we have that one day and then we get hit with four days that are in the mid nineties with humidity. (laughs) So it's like, oh, here's your little, here's your little break. Yeah, yeah you breathe. Yeah, and I will spend the entire day outside, and it will be wonderful, and I'm very excited. And uh, then I'm gonna once again perish on my couch, <laughs> and that's well, all I can I do. Like, I feel like I need to go to Ohio for one day, and just on that 73 degree day, yeah. so I can enjoy it, and then come back and suffer. That's it's yeah, that's the only day uh, that we it's even livable. So 100 percent. And then we have like weird seasons here now because, uh, you know, climate change is real and it's really happening around here. And the idea sure. that like we barely have seasons now we have summer and winter. Fall is like a two week little like a little a little moment for you to like just light a candle and enjoy it. And then spring is like four days of where it's like 55 and not raining. And, um, and that's it. And then other than that, it's 90 or it's 20. Yeah. It's either it's, hot or cold. Yes. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm honestly really ready for the winter. I'm, I'm ready for it to not feel like this anymore. I'm over it. I'm ready to like wear clothes and not have them stick to me. You know, I'm, I'm ready for all that. Well, but the crazy thing is, is I have never been a fan of cold weather. It's the reason I have no desire to live up north. Yeah. Like none at all because it's that. far too cold for me. Um, and I don't mind hot. And so, no. you know, in these summer times, everyone's just like, oh, you, you just remember this when it's all cold. I'm just like, no, I'll treasure this because I'm okay right now. But once it gets in those 20 degree days and even freezing, it, that's not for me. No. I don't like, I don't like wearing a lot of clothes. I'm a summer oh, okay. baby. I got and that. so, you know, I, 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 I would much rather be hot than cold. Are you, have you always lived in Texas? Were you born in Texas? Yes. Born and raised here. In Texas. I've traveled all over the country. Oh, okay, cool. Were you born in Midland? Yes, I was. Oh, okay. That's awesome. This is my hometown. Uh, I have, so I lived in San Angelo, which is kind of like the border of West Texas and the hill country. And so it starts because there's water there and it starts to get green and they actually have trees in San Angelo. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's where I I, I went to college. Um, 
and so that was six wonderful years. Yes, six, I know. Um, and then uh, I lived in Dallas, uh, which is up in North Texas, which is a completely different climate. And I lived there for 12 years. Um, but other than that, the rest of those however many years have been here in, in Midland. That is really cool to kind of always be from the same area and stay there. I am kind of of the same. I was born and was raised in a town that's about 15 minutes from where I live now. And um, it's interesting. It's interesting that you can live somewhere that's still like in the same state as you and all that, but it is, it's different. I mean, every, every little pocket of this crazy country is different, Um, especially even in climate. I think that's something that, uh, we have a lot of international listeners and they'll talk about how they'll like hop on a train for three hours and be in a completely different country. And it's like, well, I could drive three hours and be in the same state, but I'm in a different climate with a different accent, mm-hmm. with a different, you know, colloquialisms with all of this. Um, but I'm still like, I'm just in Columbus, you know, like I'm just, I'm just in a, a town over, you know. I. You know, same here. You know, Texas is so freaking big. It's <laughs> bigger than most countries, yeah. <laughs> quite honestly, over in Europe. So um, everything is really spread apart. Uh, I was I was telling you before that I'm five hours from Dallas. I'm five hours from El Paso. I'm like eight hours from Houston, um, about six hours from Austin in just all different directions. And if you look at on a map and look for Midland, Midland is almost in the middle of the state, but slightly northwest of the middle of the state. Mm. And that's where you'll find Midland. And so, uh, you know, we we truly are the middle land uh, <laughs> in the great state of Texas. The great state. The stars at night are big and bright. That's right. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Midland. I have heard you're somewhat of a local menace. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that depends on who you ask. Or a local, sure. a hometown hero. I just like saying local menace because I think it's funnier. <laughs> <laughs> that is funnier. Absolutely. Uh, and then even the hometown here. I don't know about all that. I am someone who cares about my my environment. And I think that, you know, having that a lot of Midlanders never live anywhere else. So we have a lot of people, native Midlanders, who once they, they're born here, they are here. They don't have those 12 years of living anywhere else. Right. And so for me, getting outside of Midland and learning about other cultures and being in a big city, a major city like Dallas, which is one of the 10 largest cities in the in the country, um, which is all about diversity. Having that experience for as long as I did uh, taught me to really value and appreciate diversity and, and knowing about different cultures, which is something that's really different here in Midland. Right. And so coming back here, I realized what Midland could be and what it should be. And because I'm not the type that just sits there and says, you know, ho-hum, man, I really wish things would change. I'm kind of the, this is kind of a shitty environment. Let me do something about it. And so uh, I tend to to get in the weeds. And, and if that means that I got to ruffle some feathers and piss some people off, then that's what I do. 
However, I try to do it in a way that makes me, I try to do it in an educated way mm -hmm. because words are weapons right. and that's my favorite weapon of choice. <laughs> and so I, uh, I, I tend to, to wield w words the way that people will wield a sword or, or you know, a gun. Right. And, um, Sometimes my words are very explosive, but it always depends on who's on the other end and if they're willing to listen or not. I think sometimes words have to be explosive. I mean, I, I think it's sometimes the kindest thing you can do, you know, is to be like, well, I'm a, I'm eviscerate you, but you'll walk away. You know, you'll be fine. Um, I actually, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I really do admire that about you. It's, it's one of the things that when I think of you, it's one of the first things I think of is the, energy you put into making an environment better for everyone not just yourself or you know not just the things you want but I, I there's something about people who are willing to cultivate and use their own energy to do that and that I just am in love with I admire it so much well thank you you know I always tell people that it's not about me the things that I do it's not about me because it's not you know um I'm 45 now. And so I'm on the other side of the mountain <laughs> and the things that I try to do, it's not for me. It's for the people who are under me that are younger than me, uh, that are just starting out, you know, it's for the youth, it's for the kids so that they can experience a better life than what I experienced. They can experience things through a different lens, uh, that I didn't get to see. And so it's never about me. And, and that's kind of the focus of my whole life. It's never about me. It's about what I can do for somebody else. And that's where I think we have so much in common, even though we, we do it differently, where I really like gardening and permaculture and, and farming and all of this stuff, because I, uh, when I was a teenager, I went through, I went through a lot, right? We all go through a lot. I went through a lot. Um, but I really fell in love with, generational energy, generational giving in this sense of, I like to plant trees that I might never get the fruit off of, right? Because someone will like, I, I, yeah. I was hit with this quote, um, which is a pretty popular quote, but I, it's actually not, not even a quote, but I think it's uh what is that called when it's like, a this feels awful to say, but it's like a, a Chinese proverb or, you know, like something along those lines. Um, where it's society thrives when old men plant trees they will never sit under the shade of. Yes. And I love that. It's something I think of constantly. It's something that stays in the forefront of my mind because I love legacy and we'll get to that. Um, I, I, the idea of it, the idea of time for me has always been a very interesting one in the sense of you have the time that you have and what you do with it can either benefit people coming after you or could not. And I'm very much so of a like, well, how do we, how do we build a legacy? You know, how do we leave a generational blessing instead of a generational curse? Um, yeah. And when I hear you talk about that stuff, it really, it, it gets me right in the heart, right, right there. And I, I, that's why I was so excited to talk to you because you've done some really cool stuff. Uh, before I get into that, I do want to ask you, uh, you said a lot of people who live in Midlands or are born in Midlands stay there. Is that for like uh, economical purposes or cultural purposes? 
Usually for economical okay. purposes. So in Midland, Texas, the main um, source of income that what we do here is oil related. Um, this is kind of Midland is the oil capital of the great state of Texas. Really? So within West Texas, oil production is the main source of income. Okay. Um, our oil fields employ, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, people come here from all over the country. You know, when they can't find work doing anything else, they come out here uh, to work in our oil fields. And so because of that connection to oil, and it's such a important part of the economy, of the global economy, um, you know, people get involved in it and they don't leave. Well, the other part of it is, uh, you know, once you tie roots, you know, once you plant those roots down somewhere, you, it's hard to relocate. Right. And, uh, you know, there are families that have just been here for, they don't know anywhere else. They don't know anywhere else to go. And um, so they stay here and then they, they convince their kids to stay here. But I'm just the opposite. Like uh, I teach high school band and those seniors, I have a conversation with them all every year. And it goes something like, I don't care where you go in your life, but I need you to get out of this town okay. for just a little bit. You can come back. That's okay. But I need you to live somewhere else and have a different cultural experience. Right. I need you to know what life is like somewhere else so that you don't think that this is all that life is. Right. Go gain some perspective. And then come back and, the one and bring that perspective here. Exactly. Yeah. Come back and bring whatever you learn, bring it back with you and make a difference. Because yeah. once you move away, once if you're in it, you absolutely think that this is a great place to be. People do. And it is. It really is. However, it could be better. Right. And uh, the people outside of here who, who've never left, they don't understand that it could be better. They just see that it's a great place to be. Right. And it's it's hard to change old head mindset sometimes. I mean, I live in a I live in a pretty small town that's pretty old, and there's a lot of progress that needs to be made. But we have a lot of old heads who show up to you know the community gatherings that are like, no, you can't put a parking lot there. And it's like this town is one street. We have like there's nowhere to park. <laughs> like there's no there's nothing. And I understand you don't want to you know you don't want to change you know anything that much. But at this point, it's like well, we have restaurants that have people who need to sit somewhere. You know, like they need to park somewhere. Like. Well, why do you have all the, why do you have all these cars? Just right. get get your horse and buggy. I don't know. Right. Take the train in. What? <laughs> uh, so yeah, and definitely, I definitely I I feel that uh, the pushback there. So you've brought up now that you teach high school band, but you're also a teacher of yes. a, a subject. Well, uh, no, so not of a subject, but um, currently. I am a family outreach liaison, which okay. basically is like a school counselor. Okay. And but I don't necessarily am not a counselor for the kids. I'm a counselor for the parents of the students. And so my job is to make sure the parents have everything that they need to be successful parents and to make sure that their kids are successful students. So I provide resources um, if parents are struggling to make ends meet that's where I come into play. And I try to, to fill in those gaps 
to make sure that, again, their kids have everything that they need so that they can learn and, 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 and better their learning environment. Uh, my job is also to bring the community, the greater community, back into the schools. One of the things that COVID did is it really played, it, it wrecked havoc in the school system as far as we pushed everybody away. Parents couldn't come in, uh, outside groups couldn't come in, no one could come back into the school except for the students and the teachers. And after COVID, it was, you know, those people said, well, you didn't want us then and you seem to be doing okay, so we're not going to come back. Well, but we need those people back. We need all the help that we can get to educate these kids and to give them different perspectives and opportunities to succeed. And so, you know, that's part of my job is getting the community to say, it's okay, come back. I want you to be a part of the process. And, and if you're part of the process, it only helps the kids grow and flourish and, and know new things, different things. Um, I absolutely love it. I get to work with kids from pre-K all the way to sixth grade. And then I'll leave and go to a, a band rehearsal and work for, from ninth grade to 12th grade. And so I will see, you know, kids from the very beginning of education to the very end of education. Wow. And uh, it is so neat and rewarding uh, to be able to work with those kids and to influence, you know, society from from the very beginning all the way to the end. Oh, that is moving. There, That is moving. Um, can I ask you, did sure. that job exist before you or did you create this job? So it is a new position that was created by our previous superintendent, and this is the second year for the program. I was already involved in elementary education. Two years before that, I had signed up to be a reading literacy coach. And uh, it was funny because, you know, I had had all of this teaching experience in band, in high school band. And so uh, when I signed up, I said, you know, sign me up to to teach the sixth graders, the older kids. You know, I'll be you know, I'll read to them and help them be able to read, blah, blah, blah. So I get there to the elementary school the first day and I'm in the office and I asked the principal I'm like, OK, so who do you have me working with? And he was just like, well, Mr. Ratliff, we're going to have you working with kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And I said, there must be a mistake. Because I clearly said that I wanted to be with the older kids. I know older kids. The thing is, is like the little kids that it freaks me. It, it did. It freaked me out because yeah. I did not have that experience with a whole large group of little children. And so uh, I was just like, I don't think that I'm, I'm cut out for this. And so it was just like, give it a try. And so uh, he took me down the hall and I felt like Arnold Schwarzenegger in kindergarten. <laughs> Because everything was miniature and I'm like six, one big guy. And so, you know, everything like I'm looking down at everything, trying not to step on kids and the <laughs> teachers are small and the, the principal is a small guy. And I'm just, you know, I just felt like just this giant. And so I got in, I got the kids and in, in the selected kids in the room and they're looking at me and I'm just looking at them. And then, you know, uh, it just it just kicked in. I was just like, okay, I'm going to treat them like I treat my high school kids. Yeah. And I treat my high school kids. Like I don't treat kids as if they're children. I treat them as young adults, future people, because, 
Yeah, they're that's future people. Yeah, yeah they're, it, that's exactly what it is. They're future people. And to them, whatever they're going through is super serious. Mm-hmm. And so when little kids talk to me, like I take them seriously because it's serious to them. Right. They're really trying to communicate and try to really tell me something. And so I'm not going to patronize them and just pat them on the head and say, oh, that's cute. You don't know what you're talking about. You're a kid. You know, I actually tried to listen to them. And, and so that caused us to develop some rapport. I just started to love it. I, I really started to love it. And uh, the next year was, you know, the, the real COVID. It was the year that we were coming back from COVID. Mm-hmm. Our schools had opened. Our terrible governor, Governor Greg Abbott, who mm-hmm. I refer to as Governor Wills, uh, and I refer to him that way because he is wheelchair bound. He was in an accident. Oh, wheels. <laughs> so uh, I call him Governor Wills. Oh my god! And so, uh, <laughs> and so, he made this rule that said, first we started off the year, no one could do virtual learning. Virtual learning is the most awful thing. We're yeah, not going to do any virtual learning. Yeah. Well, well, none of the kids, like kids, were still getting COVID, and they right. were still missing so much school to where he had to make an he had to make an addendum to that and so he said okay i'm not gonna you're not gonna have a teacher who's doing in-class teaching also do COVID teaching you know online Mm -hmm. teaching you can have an online program but you have to have someone else teach it and so that principal called me back and it was just like mr ratliff can you run our online program for our elementary school Dang. And I was just like, oh, wow, that seems like a, a big deal. I don't Zoom. I don't know anything about all that Google Classroom and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, I figured it out. And so for a whole year, that whole next year after the kindergarten experience, I was the online teacher. And I did that for the whole school. Wow. So as kids were out with COVID, they would get 10 days of online education with me. And so they sat on a Zoom with me and I would help them through whatever classwork that they were assigned. I was my job was to make sure that they're doing their assignments Mm -hmm. uh, and just, you know, keep the continuity, try to keep them learning and engaged in actual school until they got to go back into school. Did that for the whole year. And then all of a sudden this family liaison position was created. And before it even got published that this was going to be a thing, my principal had already asked. It was just like, Mr. Radloff, I think you would be perfect for this, but you consider it. And um, it's more aligned with like what I like to do, that whole counseling right. and and helping people in that way, the, the community part, because he knew how involved I was with the community and have all these community connections. He was just like, I want you to be my, my liaison. So I took on that position. And like I said, last year was the first year. I absolutely loved it. Uh, putting on, you know, school-wide productions, uh, bringing in some of our elected officials to talk to the kids, and, um, a reading thon we do at the end of the, the winter break, the last day before Christmas break. We invite people from the community to come in and each one of them goes into a different classroom and reads a Christmas book to the kids. Oh, fun. And, uh, it, it was just, you know, all of these things are just so rewarding and it's so much fun to get to do these programs and deliver them to the kids, 
and to get their parents involved in it and show their parents, hey, these are some things that you can do to help your kid, you know, be engaged at home and continue the education process while they're at home. You know, I'm looking forward to this second year to get to, you know, add on to what I've already been doing. And um, again, very rewarding. I love it. It seems almost like a, what is that? Like a Herculean type task. Like it, it definitely, it's a lot on your plate, but it, it sounds, it does sound so rewarding. I So when you were talking about your year of kindergarten um, and being, you know, so much taller than everyone else, I was a camp counselor uh, for a really long time and I'm six two. Okay. So I, when you talk about small chairs, it just brought up all these memories of like, I, I was basically in charge of a group of seven-year-olds. I had like 10 seven-year-olds or however many the state would allow, you know, one person to have at a time. Um, it was part of a big group. We were all necessarily together, but we, you know, split off in our own groups or whatever. But we all had like these little chairs. And it's just so funny when you said that. It just reminded me of that because here I am like, and I've been, I've been, I mean, I was, I was probably like six foot at that time. I mean, cause I, I was a teenager, um, but I, it was just me and a bunch of seven year olds. And I was like, Oh my, Oh God. <laughs> like, Oh, you're so tiny. Like, what are we doing? Like what's happening? Yeah. Um, please don't let me step on you. Like give, give me space. <laughs> um, so that, that is really funny. But I, I have always felt like um, working with kids are rewarding because, and I, like I said, I call them future people in the sense of uh, it's fun to also talk to people to future people who haven't been burdened by yeah. a lot of the stuff that we take on. So you get to see their imagination and their, their goals and their, their wants and, and loves and all of this stuff. And it's, it is really rewarding. It's really fun. And the fact that you get to work with the parents, I'm sure is an, uh, a crazy task on itself. Um, especially because you're dealing at that point, you're dealing with people who have biases and burdens and all of these things. Um, and then working with that to be like, let's work together. Let's let's be a team. I want to I want to be a part of your your children's success. I mean, that is it's a uniquely wonderful thing that you're doing uh, for your community. And I I wish you a lot of luck in this next year. How many days do you have left? Oh my gosh! It, look, it, we just started, so we're oh, you just, you're three, already we are three days ahead. into school. We started school. This past Wednesday, so it, this we're just into it. So by the time this airs, I don't, I don't know when your episode will air, but um, we are just in. I mean, we're just getting started. So, well, so my, when I asked my question, I was thinking you were still on summer break. I didn't know that you guys were already back. Oh, no, we 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 are. This is you're in it. This is the end of the first week. <laughs> we're wow. in it. That's crazy. Is that early? Is that normal for Texas? I feel like here we don't we don't start till end of August. I think. Nah, this this is normal for Texas. We've been starting earlier and earlier, and uh, so usually the beginning it it's a week later than it was last year. Last year we started like at the very very beginning of August, but uh, this year school started August ninth. When do you go till? Like right up until. Memorial Day in May, like the week before Memorial Day. So that's interesting because here it's the end of August until the like uh, first or maybe first and a half week of June. 
Okay. So we're like a little off. That's so interesting. Yeah, I was thinking you still maybe had like a week to like live a little. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the party is over. No wonder you feel <laughs> like gum under a shoe. That's a lot to take off. No, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, that, that is definitely part of the gum situation. That is Oh, that's wild. That's, what, no, that's, that's why I'm under the shoe. Uh-huh. There you go. Right. <laughs> well, hopefully in a couple of weeks when you know, you're back into a routine, you'll be the one wearing the cowboy boot and not the gum underneath it. Right. There you go. <laughs> so before we uh, move on from school, I have two more questions for you. One, in teaching high school band, do you play a lot of instruments? Do you play a very specific instrument? I mean, clearly you can teach a wide array, but are you personally a, a player of a certain instrument? My major instrument is tuba. I am a tuba player by trade, um, but I can also play baritone and trombone. Uh, so I teach low brass. So the, the, the low brass section is what I primarily focus on. But, you know, my role within the this particular band program is to kind of be more of an overall advisor. Mm-hmm. And so while I do work with the kids and work with about, about drill and music, um, for me, it's more about the directors and making sure that they're okay and that they're mentally taking care of themselves and that, they, the program is moving in the right direction. Are we, you know, we've set these goals. Mm-hmm. Are we moving towards those goals? Is anything hindering us from those goals? And if they are, how do we get back on track? And so, uh, you know, while, while working with the kids is definitely a part of it, it's not the main focus of what I do with the, with the program. It's to make sure that the program is on track in going in the direction it's supposed to be going. I which is a whole different situation right. sometimes. Yeah, that's I so tell me why my brain it just came up with like if I were to write your biography, like the title would be like Midlands Man with a Plan. Like you're on it. That's crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. I don't know about I don't know about all that. I you know I do have a vision for Midland. That is a little bit different than than other people. Um, the previous, the mayor that we that we did have before our current mayor, he had laid out this vision that said, you know, he wanted to see Midland, Texas, be recognized as one of the top 100 cities in the United States of America. Oh, cool. you know, he thought that we could get there through our economics. You know, us being the leaders in the oil industry and things like that. And where we differed is, I said, in order for us to get to that point, because I agree, we, Midland can be that city, mm-hmm. but in order to be that city is we have to completely embrace the diversity that we have. And we have to, we right. have to, we have to realize the people mm-hmm. part of, of what Midland is and what makes Midland great. And until we do that, we can't possibly sell the whole city. And that rep- and that means, you know, celebrating all of the people, every single ethnic group of people within our city, which continues to grow. Uh, just within our school system, in MISD, we we have forty two languages wow. that are spoken within the district. That's amazing. And I know that we don't recognize forty two groups of people. Right. And until we do that, we can't possibly be one of those top 100 cities because that's it's the overall city. It's not just parts of the city. 
So, uh, you know, my mission, the things that I work on are helping the city to realize that we are much more diverse than we realize and to take active steps towards recognizing and appreciating, appreciating that diversity. Yeah. Invest in your people. The rest will come. Yes, absolutely. And lastly, and probably maybe coolly, the most coolly, I don't think that's a thing. Uh, Coolest. (laughs) Um, you know, we talked about legacy a little earlier and how much I like it, but you have a very interesting story when it comes to legacy and in the name of. Yes. I kind of had some questions about that. I, I kind of heard uh, from a little birdie being you on your own podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I heard you talk a little bit about the journey into changing some names. Yes. And I, yeah. I, I kind of want to know how did how did that get started? How what happened there? So here in Midland, Texas, Midland Independent School District. Let me go all the way back to Brown versus Board of Education. Yes, that okay. happened in 1954, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, a decision that said, you know, um, schools should should integrate. Yes. Black and white children can learn together. Uh, everybody bought into it. Midland did not buy into it. Midland refused to integrate. Midland became the last school district in the state of Texas to integrate. And that was after a court order, uh, after a court case that that the district lost and a court order that said, you will integrate or you will lose all of your funding. And so they said, fine. Um, At that time, like, uh, like every city had um, the white school and the black school. And so Midland had a, a thriving black high school, Carver High School. Okay. Uh, that would have been big enough to accommodate, you know, having a, a mixed population of, of students. Well, the white people who didn't want to integrate in the first place mm-hmm. said, we are not sending our kids to that school. It was on the south side of town. Across the railroad tracks. We are not sending our kids to that side of town. We're going to build a a new school uh, over here in an undeveloped area of town that will, you know, eventually grow. And we're going to name this school Robert E. Lee High School. We are going to make the mascot be the Rebels. We are going to make the school's flag the Confederate flag. And we are going to make the school song Dixie. Oh and so God. we're going to make this, we're going to do everything we can to remind the black students who who are forced to go here that we don't want them here. Oh, my Atlanta. This stood for 60 years. <sighs> 60 years of Robert E. Lee High School. I was a student at Robert E. Lee High School. Um, there was great, I would say, brainwashing uh, that went on because, oh, yeah. you know, when I was in school, I, I was taught that General Robert E. Lee was just the greatest military mind in the history of the world. Oh. And it was an honor to go to a school named after him. Well, mm-hmm. We're not going to talk about the fact that he was the leader of the Confederate Army and he was fighting to, to keep slavery alive. Right. You know, we don't want to talk about all that part because, you know, to everyone else, the whole thing was about states' rights. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, states and, rights and to do what? States exactly. rights to do what? Mm. Exactly. We don't want. It was just states' rights. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. And then you ask the question: States' rights to do what? Mm-hmm. Well, that's not what it was about. Well, did you actually read any of the articles of secession? Because all thirteen of those states that succeeded in their articles of secession, they wrote about they wanted to keep slavery, and if they needed to leave the United States in order to keep slavery, then that's what they were going to do. So, yeah, it absolutely was about slavery. There was no question that the Civil War was about slavery. No question. And so, you know, there had been multiple attempts to change the name of the school, you know, through the years. And it became, as the fight went on, you know, this all became very well documented. But through the years, there were always the black students felt some kind of way. Mm-hmm. about going to a school named Robert E. Lee. Right. Um, no one just, you know, there were no flat-out revolts or anything like that, but everyone always felt some kind of way. It was never a very easy feeling. Even, you know, I can remember very early on having a conversation with the band director, who was my best friend and, and became my mentor through my adulthood, um, about playing Dixie. Like, why are we doing this? This is not right. right. And he was just like, well, this is the way it's been and this way it's going to be. We're not going to change that. Who am I to change that? Mm. You're the band director. You can surely you (laughs) could. If you said we're not going to do it anymore, then we're not going to do it anymore. But, uh, you know, he was he was stuck on the tradition and tradition was the word that really helped that held us all back. Right. Well, anyway, so fast forward to the murder of George Floyd. Yes. The whole world, you know, was forced to watch and to pay attention to that event because the whole world was shut down because of COVID. Right. And so this was an event that everyone had to, to had to know about. There were no distractions. And that's how, you know, so much of the things that happen in our country, we're distracted. We don't mm-hmm. something happens and then we're distracted by other things. And so we don't pay attention to it. And it doesn't stay in the media. Well, there were no distractions. And so everyone had to talk about the implications of the murder of George Floyd. Right. Um, I posted on the high schools, on Robert E. Lee High School's alumni page that had about 5,000 you know, people, a part of the group. Hey, everyone, is it time for us to consider changing the name of the high school? Mm-hmm. And the overwhelming response was yes. Of course, there are a lot of angry people that were just like, no, no, this, yeah. no, we'll never, we'll never change. And it would never, but the overwhelming response was yes. So I was like, okay, so this is going to be the mission. This is what, what needs to happen. Let's figure out how we make this happen. Well, at the time, I didn't think that the school board that was in place was the right group of people to make that change. They, they wouldn't be willing to do it. Mm. So my plan was to, okay, I need to make sure that we, we run the right people and get them elected into office, and then we'll take a swing at this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the, one of the people who had tried the previous attempt, which was tried three years before okay. um, and failed, didn't even you know really get a lot of traction at all, mm. he had approached me and said, no, Courtney, the time is now. We, yeah. we have to strike while the iron is hot. We've got to do this right now. 
it just so happened he had moved back to Midland and became a city councilman. He was elected to our city councilman. So uh, he let me know. He said, you fight the fight. You be the front face of this thing. And I will make sure that you have all the support that you, you could possibly get uh, from downtown. And I'm just like, mm, I don't know about this. And, uh, hmm, we'll see. It's a lot so, of heat. Uh, yeah, a lot of heat. A lot of heat. So I put together a task force uh, made out of alumni. And it was made out of uh, people who lived, good friends of mine who I graduated with that lived everywhere else but Midland. And so together we drafted a petition and put it on move on. And uh, this petition basically said, these are the reasons why our school was named what it was named. It's time for those things to change. And we propose changing the school's name. Well, the last time this was done through a petition, the petition got about, about 1300 to 1500 signatures Mm -hmm. over its lifetime. Um, in two weeks, I had 3,000 signatures. Damn. You know, and that was just the initial thing. So right. then it was time for the next school board meeting where we could present, okay, we have, you know, 3,000 signatures wanting to change this name. The day before the school board meeting, the president of the school board had put an article in the paper that said, the citizens of Midland don't want to have this discussion and we're not going to uh, bring it up for discussion in the school board meeting, uh, this topic is dead. What? Which didn't sit very well with me. No. <laughs> so Don't silence I, people. What the? Yeah, okay, let's just ignore these 3,000 signatures. and that, I, that All that effort did, didn't mean anything. Just to clarify, how many, what's the population of Midland? Midland's population now is, I mean, it, we're, even then we're about, 185,000. And so 3,000 really is a drop in the bucket. It's, you know, it's not a grand, great grand total, but it's still, it's, again, it was more than any other previous attempt. And it was definitely enough to warrant some, at least a conversation. I mean, I, I feel just like in local elections, 3,000 voters is enough yeah. to do something. So the idea to, silence those voters silence those people is in in my opinion not only dumb and fascist in a way but also it's bad for your own stuff you know it's bad for your own campaigns it's about you know to do that kind of stuff i three thousand in any local municipality is insane yeah you're absolutely right so at that school board meeting at every school board meeting there's an open forum section where the the general public can sign up to speak to the school board for three minutes on any topic they wish. Uh, I signed up to speak and I gave them three minutes of my mind. (laughs) And I blasted the school board president for saying that this was not important enough for, for a discussion. I blasted the two black members of the school board for not pushing to have the conversation. I blasted everyone else on the school board for not pushing to have the conversation. And I vowed um, that this was not, that I would not be silenced and that we would continue to have this conversation one way or the other, but we're going to have this conversation. Mm -hmm. And after that, like the media was rushing up to me. They're just like, Oh my God. Like 
like everyone else went into a panic because I was just I was very clear that I was not going to let this die. We're we're not just going to let all of these signatures go to waste. You mean one of the beautiful things. Yeah, I mean business. And so one of the beautiful things about the move on putting something on move on is once you sign a sign a petition, then you're part of the email chain. So I was able to communicate with all of those people who had signed the petition and give some instruction about what to do next. So at that point, we started a very aggressive campaign where I had all of those people write to each member of email to each member of the school board about what, why we needed to change the name. And so the school board started, I mean, they would get thousands of emails a day. 3,000 doesn't seem that small now, does it? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so they were getting thousands of emails a day and they couldn't do any other business of the district because every email was about name change, changing the names. And so uh, at that point, more people started to get involved. I talked to different people started approaching me about the situation, high up people. One of the, a former graduate of Robert E. Lee uh, had become the Texas Railroad Commissioner, which besides governor is pretty much the highest position because they take, they do all the rules and regulations for the oil industry. And so, you know, that's a extremely high ranking and important position. You got sway. We had an alumni from the school who had been twice elected to that position, who also happened to be black, whose dad was the coach of the black high school before it got, sh- because that black high school got completely shut down. Right. Those kids didn't have a choice. They had to go over to, to Lee. Um, and he got moved over and was made an assistant coach, although he had won the city's first state football championship. He got demoted to an assistant coach over at Lee. Okay. Um, and so his son uh, had, you know, was one of the the big people in charge. And we had um, General Tommy Franks, who was a high-ranking uh, general in the Bush administration, um, was also an alumni, and also First Lady Laura Bush is an alumni of the school. Really? Well, yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, And so while those others, while those three didn't want to, like, get in the weeds personally, Mm -hmm. they had representatives and they were doing things behind the scenes. They were they were making phone calls and and talking about this is really important. This needs to happen right now. Um, I got the city of Midland's government officials, our mayor, our city council involved in it because I made them and I got our city, um, you know, the businesses, especially the oil businesses involved because I made them understand that this is an image thing. We can't, we can't sell Midland, Texas as being someone, a place where we want people to move into. If one of our schools is named Robert E. Lee high school, Right. That's a bad image. And you're not going to get people from the north, especially those oil companies that are moving here and setting up their offices here and relying on people from other places to move here and operate in those offices. They're having a really tough time getting people to move down here. 
And that was one of the reasons why. And so they got on board and started writing letters and making phone calls. And so it just, it just kept going. And all the time, more signatures are getting added to this petition. We ended up with over 10,000 signatures on the yeah. petition. And so that's, by the, that's insane. By, yeah. And so by the time the July meeting came around, you know, we were we had a petition with 10,000 signatures and they were finally ready to have the conversation. They actually it was on the ballot uh, for voting. And, wow. uh, you know, I'm get, I'm gearing up and, and just, you know, I'm, I'm on the news every day and a different station and giving an interview, trying to get my sales push and, you know, just really being the outward face of the entire movement. And uh, leading up to it, my whole household gets COVID. Oh, no. Yeah, this was in the days before vaccine and COVID was still fresh and brand new. We all get COVID. Uh, The day of the vote, I'm so weak that I finally have to go to the hospital. My mom and dad had already been in the hospital. I was the last holdout. And I was just so drained, but I would, I, you know, I wanted to, I kept working because I was just like, we've got to get this done. We're at right. the finish line. But I had become so weak that I couldn't even talk. Oh, and no. so uh, as I'm, you know, I had the, the ambulance came to my house and picked me up and took me to the hospital. As I'm in the, in a, an emergency room, I send out a final message and I said, guys, I'm in the hospital with COVID. I need you guys, we're at the, we're at the goal line and I need you guys to push this thing into the end zone. I, I love sports. So I'm always talking <laughs> to sports. Hell yeah. And so, um, I literally that, just saw my husband like put his fist in the air. Like, yeah, dog. Cause like, uh, I get it for sure. Yeah. I love sports metaphor. And so, um, as I'm in the hospital and, and the school board meeting starts, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm so distraught because I can't make that last push. Right. I can't write the speech. I can't give the speech that's going to convince them that this needs to happen. But what I didn't realize is that I didn't need to, mm-hmm. because that day, 27 people signed up to speak on behalf of changing the name. Oh. Only three people had called in not wanting to change the name. It was such an overwhelming response. And so as I'm laying in my hospital bed and listening to this whole thing, I'm like just crying. Tears are down my face. And my and one of the nurses comes in and is just like, is everything okay? Oh, my goodness. What's wrong? Why are you crying? Are you in pain? (laughs) I'm like, no, I'm fine. These are happy tears. Just leave me alone. And so she did. They did. They left me alone for the rest of the night. But, you know just listening to all of those people call in mm-hmm. and express everything that I wanted to say. And it was just so incredibly moving to hear, you know, everyone do this. And so then it finally came time to vote. You know, there are a few of them that I knew, you know, just in conversations, just like going up into election, you know who your yeses are, you you. You don't, you know who your nose are probably going to be. There are some that you don't know. You just, you have no idea where they were going to go. Right. So I knew that I had, of the seven votes, I knew that I had 
Um, I knew I had three. I felt really comfortable at three of those folks. Okay. But that's not a, that's not the majority. Right. So it, it was still in the balance. So as they're talking, each one of them, you know, took the turns and they spoke about whatever they spoke about. And, you know, again, all the way through this whole thing, everything is playing out in the in the local paper. Um, the day before the president of the school board, the one who didn't want to have the conversation in the first place, finally wrote an editorial saying that yes, it's time to make this change and he was going to support it. Wow. And so, you know, that was one of the surprises, but he was the only one who had showed his hand ahead of time. Yeah. And so he was one of those three that, okay, I know he's in our corner. Um, At one point, the mayor had written an editorial saying, yes, this is the best thing for the city. We We need to get behind this. Like just all these. And remember, I'm in ruby red, the Midland is the conservative financial hub for the conservative party in Texas. Like the major funding for the Republican party comes from Midland. It's right. oil money from Midland. Right. And so I know, I knew what I was up against. I knew the people that I was up against. I knew the funding that I was up against. But when you start talking dollars and cents to a conservative Sometimes that's the only language that they'll they'll understand. Right. And I knew that. So I talk about how things affect them financially to get them to understand. Because you can't make it an emotional appeal to a conservative person. Right. It's a waste of time. Yeah. Got to talk dollars and cents to them. So I was able to do that. And, and just, again, it, so we finally get to the vote. They're talking and, and slowly they're revealing their yeses and nos. And so they're going along. And then I finally get to, like, the fourth person who says that they're going to vote in favor of changing it. And that was the realization, like, oh, my God, this is going to happen. Right. This is really going to happen. And so then they do the final vote. The measure passed six to one. (gasps) There was only one school board member who voted to keep the name the same. The other six voted to change the name. And for, uh, you know, something that didn't even that they had declared was not even worthy of discussion Mm -hmm. just a month before. To have that kind of change of heart and and vote in the complete opposite way a month later was just mind boggling to people. I Uh, it was mind boggling to me. It it was. It was just such an amazing feeling for everyone who was on board with that, which includes, you know, your new your new temporary co-host, our our shared co-host, <laughs> Damien. Uh, Damien became one of my insiders on the whole effort um, because Damien was he was a young whiz kid who was very energetic and passionate, and he knew how to work social media a lot better than I could. Mm. And so, uh, you know, I embraced that and I, and I took him in. I was just like, okay, I need you to be a part of the, my, my team, my on the boots, my boots on the ground team, Mm -hmm. uh, along with our good friend, Mercedes Buchanan. Um, the three of us were, we did all the interviews and, and fielded all the things here in Midland while people were working behind the scenes in other places and, just it was such 
a huge undertaking that involves so many people. You know, I get a lot of the credit for it, but it definitely was not a one-man operation at all. No, you, you guys became 10,000 pieces of gum yeah. stuck under their cowboy boot. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and they couldn't get the gum off. No, so, tricky. you know, they finally voted six to one to change the name, but that wasn't the end of the story. Because then it became... So when that happened, because there was all these people that were just like not paying attention because they thought that this could never happen. Right. And so once it actually the vote happened, a whole new group of angry people started coming out of the woodworks. And that's that that vocal angry people. Mm -hmm. And um, they had. So then the school now the school board is charged with what do we name the school now? Right. We've 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 said okay, it's not going to be Robert E. Lee anymore. But what is it going to be now? So that's so they concocted and created this uh, citizen committee, this renaming committee, to come up with the best alternative names. And the school board told them right from the beginning, we can take your recommendation, we can use your recommendation, or we we cannot use your recommendation. At the end of the day, this is the decision of the school board, but we want to hear from the citizens and we want to know what you want us to name the school. Well, they created this committee with some of the most biased and hateful people in the whole city. Wonderful. And it was stacked against, I mean, there were more people who did not want to change the name that were on this committee than people who wanted to change the name. Of course. There was nothing fair and balanced about it. And on top of that, they made it a point that I could not be on the committee. They did not place me on the committee on purpose. They said, people said I was too influential (laughs) and that (laughs) it was like, I'm some kind of sorcerer and I had this, you know, I could Jedi mind trick my way into making people do other things. Your honor, he's clearly a wizard. (laughs) Yeah, clearly, clearly he is Darth Vader. Like, (laughs) you know, so so they wouldn't uh, let me be on the committee. And so, uh, you know, I had to have my people that were on the committee tell me everything that was going on. And, you know, that became a whole situation because the names that they came up with to replace it, one of which was an acronym that was L-E-E that stood for Leadership Leadership Equality and Education High School. What the? okay. Okay, so it could still be Lee. Of course. And that was one of the recommendations. Another one of the recommendations was um, Lee Carver, which combined the the, the old name with it's the name of the black high school. That's not at, even at all. <laughs> like okay, at great. All. Really spent and time then, on that one. Right, and then the other name, and and let me tell you, this committee met for about two months. What? Like it was it was a long process. And then the other name that the other finalist name that came up was Tall City High School, because one of the nicknames for the city of Midland is the Tall City. Midland is super flat desert land, but we have our downtown. We have big buildings downtown. And so from any direction that you're coming into the city, you can see our downtown skylight. It's pretty neat. 
Yeah, so they've always we've always been called the Tall City. Okay. So Tall City High School. Well, that was so when it gets back to the school board and they make the recommendations, that was the first one that was off the list. Oh. It's like that, that sounds too Disney Channel. We're not going to be Tall City High School. Just name it Oz and, so and we'll go with it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, the other ones, you know, I was dead set. We're not going to be uh, some acronym that still says Lee. That's literally the whole no. point. Yeah, that, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad point. you get it because they didn't seem to understand that. I'm like, literally, the whole point of doing this is so that we're not Lee. And so you want to do an acronym. The reason they thought that this was okay is because the school in San Antonio, Texas, had done the same thing. They changed their name from Robert and Lee, but they did do the acronym. And so people here thought that, oh, well, we'll do that, too. That's a great idea. No, no, No. we're not. We're not about to do that. (laughs) So that was pretty much off the list. And, you know, the the idea of of Lee Carver was offensive to all of the the people who went to Carver, all of our really older citizens that were you know, still alive and, and saw that whole thing and had to live through that experience. Right. Because again, it was 60 years, which in the grand scheme of things is not that long ago. No. So was, go ahead. It's not that long ago. 60 years is, yeah. it's a generation. It's not that long. Right. So, um, so, you know, basically all three of the ideas were pretty terrible. Yeah. So, uh, I had been in conversations and, and just talking about different names. And, you know, one of the things that came up that we kept talking about is that this school has a great legacy of producing really talented people, mm-hmm. uh, people who have gone on and and changed the world. You know, not every school can say that they have a first lady. Mm-hmm. Not every school can say that they have a Texas Railroad Commissioner or uh, a top general in the United States Army. Right. So, you know, we were just like, the legacy from this high school is really great. And then everybody kind of looked at them, looked around, it was just like, legacy? That's that's what we're doing. We're building legacies, and we want to continue to build a legacy of excellence here at this high school. And so, sport president put out an editorial that he was leaning in that direction. And so... Part of this whole thing was kind of a compromise because I was just like, okay, I'm okay with still being LHS, right? You know, Lee High School to and go to Legacy High School because that would save us some money in branding. I said, I'm okay with with remaining our school colors of maroon and white. I don't like the idea of remaining the rebels, but. If that saves us some money, then okay. Because that was one of the other arguments of the whole thing. The cost of rebranding everything is just way too high. And, you know, who can afford that? Well, Midland can't afford that because we're the sixth richest school district in the state of Texas. So <laughs> really, money was never an option. We have oil money to spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, people are cheap and they don't want they don't want to realize the realness. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I compromised on a lot of things, and, and part of that compromise was, okay, LHS, uh, what about Legacy? I think that that's a great name. It uh, it speaks to the, the past, and it gives a hope for the future. Yeah. 
And so when it finally came to it and they gave the report and everything, they did the names. Well, the school board was just like, I don't like any, any of the three names that this committee came up with. Uh, and then the school board president said, I suggest Legacy High School. And then they voted on that, and that passed five to two. Hmm. There were two vote, two different school board members that didn't necessarily want to go that route. And that was only because the citizen committee had worked all that time and came, and we didn't use any of the names that they came up with. Well, it's because they were bad and, at their jobs. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I was just like, well, they purposely were trying to you know, screw the system. They right. they didn't walk in with the intention with good intentions. Mm. They walked in with the intentions of saving Lee High School. Right. And so of course we didn't it, we shouldn't use what they had to say uh in this particular situation. End of the day, the school became legacy high school. Uh people were terribly upset, but one of the most gratifying days was going by the high school because it's written on the wall it's on there's a front wall that had that used to say robert lee high school Mm -hmm. and they took that down and they replaced it with legacy high school and i the first day that it was up i went and took a picture in front of that sign and it was just like this is real this this actually happened and i reminded everyone you know this happened because you the people made this happen this is a victory for our city. This is a, a victory for our future. You know, it doesn't affect me because my diploma will always say Robert E. Lee High School. And that's not something that will ever change. However, future generations won't have that albatross around their neck. When they go out into a world that's not Midland, Texas, and they tell someone the name of their high school, they won't have to justify why they went to a high school by that name. Because okay. those are things that I had to do. You know, my my first college roommate was um, a black guy from, from Fort Worth, and he'd gone to the school Fort Worth Dunbar, which is a, a traditionally black high school in in one of the the south sides of of Fort Worth, and when I told him that he was he like just about cussed me out like mm-hmm. I had something to do with the name of the school. Right. I was just like I just went there, bro. He was just like, how fuck can you go to a school by the name of Robert E. Lee? Don't you know who that is? Uh, I'm just like, bro. I I didn't I didn't have a choice. That's just right. the name of the school. And as I was talking to people all through the process. They had all had similar experiences. You know, right. when they got away from here and went to school somewhere else, especially those that went to school out of state and trying to explain, right. you know, the name of their high school and being met with that, oh my God, so you're racist? I didn't know that. Right. <laughs> so they're like, no, that's not the situation. This is I'm a victim of yeah. racism. I'm not racist. Yeah, I'm a victim yeah. of systemic racism. And if there's ever an example of systemic racism, that was the example of systemic yeah. racism. And so, oh, uh, you know, I didn't want I didn't want future generations to have to keep going through that. And now they don't. This is the this current year is the third year for Legacy High School, and you know, it's just it's so satisfying to me that. The diplomas no longer say Robert E. Lee. 
You know, there there's right. there are a lot of people still here in this town that that call it Lehigh School, and I know that the, it's not even it's not all that intentional, but you know you. Right. If your name was that for 60 years, it's going to be a hard... It takes time. And I don't expect anyone to make the instant switch. However, I do expect anyone that's associated with the school and talking about the school and official business to call it by its name. Yes. And I do call those people out. Like, you can't be the principal at the school and still call it Lee. That doesn't fly with me. You got to be I will call you out every single... Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, so that's that's the whole that's the whole story. That is Legacy High School and how it became and why it became and all of it. Thank you for sharing. I almost cried about three times during that story. The victory in it, the 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 breaking of a generational curse, in a way, and and giving those kids, you know, I guess a band aid for the past, but a goal for the future. Yes, it's just. It's very moving and for it to be so grassroots and to make what I assume will be a legacy <laughs> really um, for, I mean, for, you know, the next few generations of, you know, however long the high school's around is very impactful. It's wonderful. Truly. Uh, thank you for sharing it. I, I knew somewhat of the story. I didn't know all of it. And I won the juxtaposition of you sitting in a hospital bed, <laughs> the weakest you've ever been, and like also getting this victory, this touchdown, if you will, winning the Super Bowl, if you will. Yes. It just is beautiful, truly. It's, I'm sorry that happened and that you weren't there to, you know, uh, be a part of that. But wow, I mean, all of the work that you put in. You really know, it was, it was part of the plan. It made the whole yeah. thing that much sweeter. Yeah. You know, I wasn't I wasn't meant to be that be a part of that discussion that day. Right. I just I, I wasn't meant to it. That wasn't supposed to be where I was supposed to be. And right. so the next school board meeting or the school board meeting where they were deciding on the name was the first time I addressed the school board since everything had happened. Whenever I have time to sit and write a speech, it's pretty impactful. I, I love doing that kind of thing. <laughs> Me too. And so it's so you know, I gave them a, a pretty impactful speech and, you know, I let them know that the reason why you haven't heard, because they hadn't heard from me until uh, since in person, since I was going off on them for not listening to me at all. Right. I let them know about, you know, I was in the hospital bed with COVID and that's the reason why you didn't hear from me, but you didn't need to hear from me because no. you heard from everyone else. Yep. That conversation was had. Yeah, it was. It was definitely had. And then it was done in the media because I was the decision had been made. Then my phone starts ringing and all the media wants to do an interview mm-hmm. after the fact and everything. And so I was doing interviews from my hospital bed. I even even <laughs> uh, had a video uh, interview with one of the stations and I'm in my hospital gown. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so it was it was all pretty crazy. It was all just crazy. The whole the whole experience was really crazy, but everything that resulted from it was so neat. Yeah. One of the things that resulted from it, and uh, I've talked about this on my podcast too, was I developed a relationship with uh, the guy who was running for governor 
last year, Beto O'Rourke. I was just about and to ask you if that's how y'all got connected. That's how we got connected. So on his, I think his first time uh, stopping in Midland as as a candidate for governor, uh, someone went up to him and said, have you met Courtney Ratliff? You've got to meet Courtney Ratliff. Wow. He changed. He changed the name of a whole school here, and uh, Beto was just like, "Really?" So he had done his rally, and then you know, uh, doing the picture line, and I kind of waited behind, and uh, he was just his memory is so incredible, and mm-hmm. so he was just like, "So tell me more about it and everything," and I told him, and you know, the I kind of gave him the Cliff Notes version of everything, and and he was just like, "That's fascinating." And so uh, it wasn't until the next time he was in town, I had gone to a rally that um, I was working with our local Democratic Party and helping to set it up and everything. And that's when he, like, did a recording to put on his on his website and everything, talking about, you know, giving a brief synopsis of what what, what happened and calling me a, a Texas hero. Wow. And, uh, you know, just... That really like that launched a lot of different things and and just so happened that day I was wearing my rainbow headband. <laughs> yeah, I've and, seen the. Uh... Have you seen that picture? Yeah, I have. <laughs> and so I'm wearing my rainbow headband, and you know that's one of the other things that made the whole thing so interesting. It made me a, a different extra target. Was that I am I am out. I am a very right. out and outspoken gay man and i don't shy away from that at all something else that's you know a big no-no here in conservative west texas mm-hmm. uh but i i don't hide that from i don't hide that part of me from anybody and so you know there i am doing this interview with beto and and proudly being me because right. being unapologetically me is what i should say yeah. and uh so after that some weeks go by and I, he takes my number and everything. And I'm just like, okay, I'm giving Beto O'Rourke my number. I'm not thinking anything of it. Okay, fine. I'll probably never hear from this guy. Right. Well, I get a text. Yeah, he's busy. He's running (laughs) for governor. I'm not going to, you know? And so weeks, weeks go by and I get a text message from him. Like, Hey, Courtney, um, I'm working on a book. I want you to be a part of this book. I want my editor to give you a call. Wow. Is that, is that okay if I give you give my editor your number? And I'm just like, um, sure, you're Beto O'Rourke. Of course yeah. it's okay. <laughs> so yeah. I talk to, you know, I talked to the editor and everything, and she gets some information. She's asking questions about the whole situation and the ordeal and everything, and, you know, getting some extra details. And she's just like, Yes, he is authoring a book about um, experience his experiences touring Texas, mm-hmm. and some of the people who've been who've impacted him the most during this experience. And he wants to talk about you. And I'm just like, oh my god, <laughs> like this is this is crazy. Yeah. And so the final product finally comes out, and it's a uh, the book is called "We've Got to Try." Mm. And uh, the the preface of the book is talking about how Texas really championed uh, voting ra- rights 
for African-American citizens. Uh, mm -hmm. There was this one citizen in El Paso who had been denied the right to vote. Uh, and they kept changing laws to keep him from voting. And he kept, he kept filing lawsuit after lawsuit in order to get his right to vote. And like after the third attempt, he finally got that, he finally won. And it was a landmark case that ultimately allowed all black people in Texas the right to vote without persecution, without poll tax, without any of the, the obstacles and barriers that have been created mm -hmm. uh, to do so. And uh, then it just, it's, it starts talking about the people that he encountered along the way. And so towards the front of the book is the section about me and just reading it for the first time. And then I had bought the book, like they, he sent me a copy and then I bought the audio book and uh, listening to him read about me and mention my name was just, it's so surreal. I, yeah, that has to be like almost out of body. Like, wow, this is a real thing. Yeah, this is really hot. And so, you know, while all of this was happening, my high school band kids, because I don't, the band that I work with is not here in Midland. It's in our neighboring city of Odessa. Okay. And um, they've never under, like every year that we played uh, against Lee, they would always ask me, why is it named Lee? That's so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That's so racist. Mm -hmm. Why would they name a school Lee? And so they were very in tuned about what was going on. And they were some of my biggest cheerleaders and supporters were my pony kids. And so, That's amazing. you know, when the, when the book came out and I took it uh, on a band trip and everything, and, and one of our drum majors in particular had just become a, a big time Beto O'Rourke fan and everything. Mm. So I let her hold on to the book and she actually used it for a class presentation and, uh, and got an A on this presentation. And mm -hmm. Really proud of her in that. And you know, the it, it just goes to show that the kids, when given information and the opportunity to make their own decisions about things, yeah. they lean in the right way. Yep. And so, you know, there's a lot of always, you know, talk about are we raising kids just to be more conservative kids? And I don't think so. I think no. that if you teach a kid right and wrong and let them make their own decision, they're going to choose the right thing every single time. And that's yeah, what I'm doing with these band kids. I would agree with you on that. I definitely think the, uh, the generation currently coming up is not one to be messed with. They also mean business and I'm very proud of them. Uh, truly. I watched his campaign pretty closely because he kind of did something that I guess in a while I could be speaking out of turn. I don't know a lot about Texas history, but him going to all of these towns was kind of out of the box, right? It wasn't something that was typically done. I mean, most politicians go to your major cities and maybe one or two small towns. And he spent how many days in a row? I mean, he went everywhere. He was all over the state. Yes. He made it a point because he knew that the elections are won in the rural communities. Mm -hmm. And people, you know, conservatives, the, the GOP has always assumed that these rural communities will vote for them and right. vote with them no matter what. 
And so they don't even spend time going there. They don't spend time talking to those people. And that's what he did. He made he did a road a old school road tour mm-hmm. where I mean him, his campaign manager, and uh, I don't even know what to call Cynthia. Like his advisor, I don't know what she is. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. She every single one of while he was campaigning. He always had this one woman. Her name is Cynthia Cano, and she was the right hand. She was whatever was going on. It was like she was security. She was the one with the microphone deciding who got to answer, who got to ask a question. Um, she was right there by his side the entire time uh, for all of his campaigns, because not only did he run for state Senate against Ted Cruz and in, in the closest uh, race that a Democrat had gotten uh, to a republic, uh, a Republican contender since we elected Ann Richards way back, way, way back. And then, uh, you know, then his brief run for president and then this run for governor. Uh, she's been right there the whole time. and She's a, another just incredibly fantastic person. Um, who someday she should be, she should run for something herself. Right. She's, she's really incredible. But, um, you know, yeah, they, they got in the car and they just, they went, they, sometimes they would. And, you know, as we talked about earlier, Texas is huge. Right. And so to, to strategically cross the state and try to hit every County, the goal was to hit all 256 Texas counties. And over the course of the of two years, he did that. He went to every county in Texas. It it was insane to watch. I mean, I the, he lost, right? But right. I even saw his losing as a victory and how close he was. I mean, yes. no one thought he could do it. No one thought he could get such a big sway. And, I mean, Texas is you know, from an outsider's perspective, one of the most conservative states we have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you're like right up there with like Florida duking it out most days. Um, right. But up here. <laughs> right. And um, for him to get so close was a win in my eyes that it was like, oh, he brought out he brought them out. Yeah. He brought them out. You could you could see that there was there was movement there, and that there were people who he went to and explained everything that was going on, and sat and answered their question, and spent so much time with people, and proved that matters. I do think that his campaign directly influenced John Fetterman's campaign in Pennsylvania. Absolutely, and because that was his whole thing too. Every person, every vote matters, and when you play politics that way, and you don't do the you know the the money thing, you don't do the campaign. Uh, in this like weird traditional sense, you get out there and you talk to people and you look at communities and you spend time and energy, things happen. And it might not be overwhelming and it might not be instantaneous, but just getting some steam, you know, getting some wind in those sails is enough. I mean, look at you. You posted a question on Facebook and was like, hey, (laughs) y'all, are we ready? And then within a year had made a community of folks who were ready to do something, ready to make a change for the betterment. Yeah. 
I credit him so much uh, for the way that, just like you say, he energized a people who who have been beat down so much. Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you're a liberal here in Texas, you you get talked about a lot. You know, yeah. you get even if you're not in the room. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, he gave a lot of us hope. He gave us a lot of the, the wind beneath our wings. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brought out a different energy, like you said, and he made people hopeful for the future. And so there are a lot more people, a lot younger people who are willing to run now, who right. are willing to throw their hat in the ring and give it a chance. Yeah. Because, you know, Beto did. He he was fighting an uphill battle, but he never, you know, he never did make it feel like he was the underdog. Sisyphus and, was happy. Yeah, he yeah. made everyone feel like like we legitimately have a chance to do this, but it's going to take every single one of us mm-hmm. working together to make it happen. So, my a question I had written down before, but I think is even more so maybe poignant now is, what is your advice to people who maybe don't know where to start or don't have a community or don't, well, there's the community out there, but they don't know how to get in touch with those people. I mean, what do you think is the first step? Like what, or the, maybe the first hurdle to get over mentally or anything along those lines? Cause I feel like a lot of people, especially younger people, especially on the left side of things uh, have in, in small towns and in, in our types of communities have been beaten down and have been, talked about so terribly and are immediately pushed out of the room anything anytime anything happens do you have any recommendations for people finding a community or for making one well first off we're in such an uh, a magical time period because yeah. we have technology that we just did not have once upon a time yeah and that means that if someone won't give you a microphone you can plug one in and be your own microphone. Go yeah. live. Go put a message out there. Make a podcast. Put, make a podcast. You know, <laughs> there are so many things that, that an individual can do to make their voice heard. And the thing is, is that so, so much of the time, other people are waiting for one person to make the first sound. And when right. they hear it, hear it from somebody else and maybe even hear it from somebody they know, then they know, oh, well, they're talking about this. I can talk mm-hmm. about it too. Or let me join the conversation with them. It takes one brave soul. It takes a spark <laughs> to start a fire. It takes yes, it one does. brave soul. And I encourage everyone, anyone listening to this, if there's something that you want to make better, don't wait for somebody else. You be that one brave soul. You be the spark. All you have to do is start the conversation and other people will join your conversation. Be persistent. Don't let people, don't let anyone bully you into saying your voice doesn't matter because your voice does. And if they start bullying you, that means that they're afraid of you. Because they don't want you to pick up steam. They don't want anyone else to hear you because they know that you have the potential to do whatever it is you set to accomplish. It only takes a spark. Yeah, I uh, going back to what you said, I, I have this statement because people talk about 
you know, in, in our spaces and in, in, in the progressive space, there's a lot of, you know, well, there's a lot of opposition right now and there, and, and those voices are so loud and, and it's hard mm-hmm. to break through the noise and it's hard to, hard to sit there and listen while people are screaming. And um, I always say that it's because it's dying. Something screams its loudest right before it dies. Yeah. And we're at this point of a lot of, a lot of the systemic stuff that has been holding together this messed up culture for such a long time, it's coming down. And of course it's screaming because it's dying. Yes. You're right. Oh, wow. That's deep. deep. (laughs) And and I, I think that, yes, it might hurt your ears, but there's hope in it knowing that like the, we're on almost like the final battle lines of like, we just have to keep pushing. Um, to make better changes and yeah, some things will die in that process, but sometimes that's for the best. You know, I am a gardener and it's like, well, sometimes you got to pull the plant that's sick, you know, to make the better garden. And and does that mean that a plant's going to die? Yeah. But the garden will be better for it. And I think that time spent helping others is time not wasted, you know, Time spent putting your energy into legacies is time not wasted. And I think that every time there's a Courtney in a Midland, Texas, making something that seems as simple, but it's not, but as simple as changing, getting rid of this old, old system, this old name, the world gets better. And, um, I've, I've heard someone once say, I, it's hard for me to make these decisions or it's hard for me to make progress and all of this because I feel like I'm a drop of rain in an ocean. You know, like I'm just, it's just a drop in a bucket. But the thing is, is like, there's so many of us mm-hmm. that, yeah, you were, Courtney was a drop of rain in a bucket, but then he found 10,000 other drops of rain and he flooded that damn place. There you go. You know, so it's like, get out there, talk to people get involved, go, you know, there's change, just go on change.org and like, look at petitions and add your name or, or move on and, and, you know, look at different things. There's, we have so many cool resources to make change in such a, in, in a positive way. We can't all be absolute insane heroes like Courtney is from, you know, <laughs> being in giving news interviews from your hospital man. <laughs> But it doesn't it doesn't always take that, you know. You could yeah. be one of those twenty seven that just call in to give your to give your piece, you know, to to do those things and and that is really cool. That's the cool thing about joining a movement. That's the cool thing about finding your people and finding a goal that's shared. We actually had um, kind of talking about in in some ways the same thing, in some ways another. We had a levy here, and I've talked about it on the podcast a little bit. Um because here in a lot of the states, for your school to get funding, you have to pass levies, which mm-hmm. to me seems ridiculous um, and kind of backwards, but it is what it is. And the levy kept failing. It just kept failing and it kept failing. And this was the last and final vote. And there was this guy who, on the, on the opposite side, he did not want the levy to pass, meaning we would lose all buses, meaning the teachers would not get any raises and all of this inflation, meaning uh, instead of upgrading our you know our kindergarten or not kindergarten our preschool no what is it kindergarten kindergarten and elementary instead of them getting 
uh, a new wing, they were still going to be learning out of trailers. And it's like, well, these are small children. Like they should be in like a secure school, you know? Um, Anyway, he came out and started this community of people who didn't want the levy. And he, (laughs) he was a rich man who lived in Loveland who had children who did not go to Loveland schools. They went to private schools and had already graduated and he did not want to pass a levy. He did not want to pay any more in taxes for these kids. And it was like, this guy is, and, and so when, once we all f- figured that out, because we all came together and was like, oh, wait a second. Well, who's the guy leading this? Who's the guy leading this? Let's figure it out. And then you look at his stuff and look at what he's posting on social media and doing all this. Then it was as simple as a Facebook post on, on the levies, you know, little Facebook group being like, Hey, so the guy that's leading the opposition and like buying the signs for everyone leading the opposition, uh, he did his kids didn't even go to Loveland. Like he doesn't, this, this isn't, he's not part of the community. Like he's actively trying to take apart the community. This man, it does not have like, he just lives on the edge of Loveland and doesn't like, he doesn't care about your kids. Like he only cares about his wallet. And like, that's kind of ridiculous, you know? And like, also he's paid more in signs than he would have in taxes. Like that, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. He's paid more in opposition than than in actual the tax. Yes. And he, he was just really odd and like would um, like, kind of like dox teachers and like look at their stuff and like blame certain teachers for certain things when it was like this isn't about any of this it's like making sure our kids still have buses sir like i why are you doing like and it was just you know that situation so the whole community came together and that levy passed it passed heavy when they were like wait a second this guy that's sowing all this discourse doesn't even have have skin in the game like, wait a second, what's going on? And then, like, the opposition really kind of crumbled and the levy passed. And, like, now we're starting, school starts next week for us. And there's so many things that, like, the kids get this year that they didn't have last year. And so many parents are excited. Their kids are going to this, you know, they're going to this school that has more safety involved in it and has more resources. And it's really, it is so rewarding to know that just a little bit of research, a little bit of time, and a little bit of community, now we have thousands of kids who have a betterment. It's so exciting. It's just so exciting. And it it wasn't that hard in the sense of, I you know, it's not like we were out there breaking a sweat. We were just talking to people. And that's all you have to do. You know, you that's, know, that's all you got to do. Sir, that's, that's one of the things people are always saying, Courtney, that must have been so hard. Everything... That must. Have, it wasn't. All yeah. I was doing was having conversations with people yeah. and empowering them to realize how much power they had individually. Yeah, that's all. That's and, all I did. It, and even if you're someone like me, I don't like talking to people. Right? I like talking to people like this. I'm having fun here, but like talking to strangers out in public is not my forte. But there's so much you can do that you don't even have to leave your house, you know, get involved in a community. That's like, well, we send emails or we write postcards or we make signs or we do whatever. And like, you don't even have to leave your house, you know, just, just put a little bit of energy, 20 minutes a day or an hour a week or whatever. And it's like, just, you know, if you, if there's something you care about, 
do something, you know, just do something. And also it's rewarding in the sense of so many of us, I think that are younger, like we spend so much time on social media and it's like, well, no one's asking you, especially not me. I'm not asking you to get off social media. Just use it a little differently. Exactly. Use you know? what, what resource you already have. Exactly. Social media is so powerful. It is. It is I mean, so powerful. You know, I make this joke and I'm not a religious person. Not that I have anything against religious people. I'm just not that religious of a person. But I always say like, well, Jesus only had 12 followers. You have 600 friends on Facebook. <laughs> right. Like, you know, you can do something with it. You know, you can, you know, you can do something. There's something there. I mean, even if you're only, you have 20 followers on Instagram, that's still 20 more people listening to you than there would be if you were just alone in your house. Yep. You know, Absolutely. and and even if it's not you making your own infographics or making your own statement, even sharing stuff and, mm -hmm. and letting your friends know, oh, I agree with you on this. I see what you're saying and I agree with you on this. I mean, even that is impactful. It's it's really, I think at the end of the day, we have lost a lot of community. Um, and I think that comes a lot from like the generation of my parents and maybe a little older of where a lot of them moved out to be on their own and like left a lot of family behind, you know, they were like the first to like women have jobs now and they move out to a city and you know, they're doing all of this and they're raising, you know, we have families here who are by themselves and they're not, you know, with family and all of this stuff. And then a lot of kids grow up with only seeing their family, like a couple times a year or whatever. And you lose that social skill, that social muscle, of being in a, a community of having a village of all of that stuff. And there's a lot, I have found a lot of power in my life of making my own village and seeing other people's villages and becoming a part of them. Um, and, and finding a lot of love to be had there, you know, of found families just as powerful as a regular family, you know, and, uh, being around people and making positive change and positive effort even if it's not political, even though most of everything is political in what we do, even if you don't think it is, um, even if it's just, you know, you and your neighbor get close and find out that one of your other neighbor neighbors is struggling and you're helping that person and then their kids are succeeding and then their kids have the empathy of knowing to help other, you know, like it just, everything is a snowball effect. Everything is generational and everything is a legacy and you get to do what you want with that. You know, even sitting here listening to this two hour podcast about us talking about this, like there are seeds that are sown constantly. And the thing that happens with seeds in a garden or in real life, uh, they multiply. You put one tomato seed in the ground, that to that tomato plant's going to make a thousand seeds in its lifetime. Well, bam, now you have a thousand seeds for next year. You know, things multiply. Life goes on. Time is a gift. And what you do with your time matters. Every every single person, what you do with your time matters. You have helped me to not feel like um, I, I I'm not I'm no longer under the shoe. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> not now you got to put on the shoes. You know those boots were made right. for walking. <laughs> Hey, oddlings, if you can imagine, this conversation goes on for about another hour, and I will bring you this hour early next week. 
I wanted to get this out to you before the weekend. We're already sitting at an hour and 42 minutes and uh, I don't want to cut anything. So I will bring you, do you hear that chicken? She's going crazy. I will bring you the next hour early next week. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you enjoy your weekend and I hope you stay out, Arcadia.